Hi everyone, I am Asma and I'm happy to welcome you to the PwC Workforce podcast series on remote working and impact on cost policies. This podcast is part of a series tackling key issues organizations are facing today on the most important assets, their workforce. So today we will focus on remote working and impact on cost policies. It is clear that COVID-19 has accelerated the remote workforce by forcing individuals to work from home on a full-time basis for almost more than a year now. Although many employees are nowadays looking forward to returning to their habitual workplaces, the fast-forward button to remote working, which has proven to be efficient in many ways over the past year, has clearly been pushed. Since more and more organizations move towards the remote working and offer employees the benefit of its flexibility, those who do not will find it increasingly difficult to attract new and retain existing talent. Companies should thus now reimagine the future of work for a post-COVID-19 world. I have the pleasure to be joined by Jessica and Sandra to have a discussion on how the future workspace might look like. But before we take a deep dive in this matter, Jessica and Sandra, could you please briefly introduce yourself? Sure, Asma. Hi, everybody. My name is Jessica DeBels, and I'm an attorney specialized in employment law working for PwC Legal. I often advise on remote working, and when I do, I tackle these types of files with my tax colleague and co-speaker for today, Sandra. Welcome to this podcast. My name is Sandra de Weert, and I'm a manager in the PwC Reward Practice. Thank you, both of you. Well, to kick off, I have a first very general and basic question for you. Would you have any idea on how the future workspace will look like? Well, Asma, it is clear that the traditional office where people come in at 8 in the morning and leave at 5 in the evening will disappear. Instead, we expect companies to shift towards a hybrid workplace model where all kinds of combinations will be made between remote work and office-based work. In our view, the future office place will rather serve as a meeting spot where people join to connect and to co-create. In-depth technical reviews, however, will often be better performed in the home office where there is a stronger focus possible. Studies show that working from home definitely increases productivity. Moreover, needless to say that working from home offers flexibility that allow employees to have a better work-life balance. This being said, the office place will remain important for collaborating with team members, for building relationships and for keeping the team dynamics alive. So the work office is definitely here to stay, but its role is set to change. A burning question will be the optimal balance of workdays at home versus workdays in the office. You can imagine that there is no one-fits-all answer to this question, but companies definitely need to reflect on this and eventually also do soundings with their employees to find out how they, how they see their future work environment. Mm, that is super clear, Sandra. The workplace design will be reshaped and I definitely like your idea to involve the employees in this process. Due to the COVID situation, things have moved so fast. Jessica, does the legislator keep the same pace? Well, I think that's a valid question, Asma. 
I think it's without question that it's up to the employer to provide its employees with the right tools to face the challenges that come with remote working. The employer is even legally obliged to do so. But on the other hand, it's of course up to the legislator to create a legislative framework in which these initiatives can develop and blossom. Although homeworking has become the new standard, this is not the case from a legal perspective. For example, we still notice that there's a lot of confusion between the concept of homework on one hand and telework on the other. The main difference between the two lies in whether or not information technology is used. But given the current economic reality, I really wonder whether this distinction is not completely outdated. In practice, we see that the confusion between the different regulations leads to legal uncertainty for both the employer and the employee and results in very different case law. We therefore really applaud that reviewing this legislation is part of this government's agenda. Okay, Jessica. So still some work to be done. Indeed. First by the legislator, but perhaps also by the companies. Eh? As I understand that it is of vital importance that the policies that are in place should be updated in line with the design changes. The reality of the homework rules should be correctly reflected in all company documents dealing with this matter. Point taken. Thanks a lot. Something else now. Employers are unlikely to adjust their compensation offer simply because an employee wishes to engage in a remote work arrangement. However, a different way of working requires aligning the employee's reward package with the new reality. Eh? So employee makes compensation for at least, I would say, part of the cost they incur by working from home. Can you elaborate a bit more on this? Yeah, sure. In the case of homework, the Employment Contract Act stipulates that if no agreements are made on the expenses associated with homework, the employee can in any case claim 10% of the gross salary for the days when they work at home. However, in case of teleworking, the employer just has the obligation to provide the employee with the tools to perform the job, uh, which in practice just comes down to uh, providing a laptop and an internet connection. If the employee has the right tools in place, it can be agreed that the expenses associated with teleworking are included in the monthly salary of the employee. But seeing that employees are teleworking more on a structural basis, employers usually grant additional compensation to reimburse these costs as these reimbursements are considered as costs proper to the employer. Within certain limits, these amounts can be exempt from income tax, but also social security taxes. That sounds interesting. Sandra, can, can you also elaborate a bit more on the compensation, please? Mm, absolutely, Asma. Because first of all, an employer can grant the employees a maximum allowance of approximately 129 euro per month. This allowance covers the use of the office space at home, office supplies, utilities like electricity and heating, as well as the maintenance of the accommodation, insurance, property tax, etc. This amount, however, assumes that the employees work from home on a structural and regular basis, which is the equivalent of one working day per week. This is assessed on a monthly basis, so it can be two half days per week or it can be a week per month, for example. In addition to this amount, so even on top, the employer can also reimburse the purchase of office furniture, like a chair, a desk, a cupboard, and computer material, a second screen, a printer, and a scanner. The administration accepts that these reimbursements are considered as cost proper to the employer, so tax-exempt. 
Finally, the employer can also reimburse the professional use of private equipment, like a personal computer or the internet. You see, there is a legal framework on the financial contributions for home office expenses. Bear in mind, Asma, that there is, however, no legal obligation whatsoever to pay them. Hmm, clear. Uh, I guess, however, that despite the lack of legal obligation, it is well recommended that the employer carefully reflects which items he would like to reimburse and that these rules are reported in a kind of policy. Uh, am I right? Definitely, because a robust expense policy is part of a solid defense file should the tax or social inspectorate pass by to verify the reality of the cost reimbursements. Mm -hmm. I agree, Jessica. You need to have a good expense policy and accurate underlying contractual documents. All these are important for the employer to justify the lump sum reimbursements. For the purpose of legal certainty, the employer can always submit a ruling on this matter. This is in any case recommended if in addition to the cost related to the home office, other items like representation costs are also reimbursed. Hmm. Okay. Okay, the item on compensation is clear to me. Thanks a lot to both of you. I have now another point for you. The current large-scale deployment of a virtual workforce due to the COVID-19 has revealed several pain points for many. These range from technological challenges, like poor internet connection, I guess we all experience those, to the lack of a dedicated workspace at home, and last but not least, the psychological need for real-life social interaction with colleagues and clients. The virtual workforce imperative calls for a fundamental approach in various areas to tackle these challenges and mitigate potential negative effects, allowing employers to create a productive and satisfying experience for all parties involved. Jessica and Sandra, can you please give us some tips that need to be taken into consideration by employers when creating a sustainable virtual and remote workforce? Yes, of course. I think um, maybe first thing that you need to do is I think that organizations really need to have a clear vision of how a virtual workforce will benefit their profit and their people. Your vision as an employer needs to be inspirational and motivating for your employees, but it should also make business sense. Homework should fit into your workspace strategy and into your HR framework. It's not because we've all been working from home during this pandemic that all functions are fit for telework. You really need to, need to make a critical assessment on the type of functions that can perform their work from their home office. The same goes for processes. Make sure that you have done a proper analysis on which process you need to put in place. Once this is cleared out, you should adapt your workforce strategy accordingly. Mm -hmm. And in a second step, in order to address skills and competency gaps, the employer may need to conduct different assessments on an individual as well as, 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 well as on an organizational level. The change towards a virtual workforce will require a new set of skills and competencies. Adequate training and development programs may be needed to upskill the workforce to become virtual. Digital literacy and learning agility will be crucial for the success of the virtual workforce. Also, the performance management processes may need to be revised to make sure people have relevant and achievable objectives in a virtual setup. KPIs should be focused on output and on results, and less on input on time and presence. 
Yes, Sandra, indeed, but also make sure to embed this in a broader and transparent framework for telework. Good agreements are essential to make telework on a structural basis a success. To follow up on your input on KPIs and performance review, for example, employers might need to rethink how they will manage and supervise performance when their employees are not working at the office. Working from home touches a lot of different topics and therefore a holistic approach is advisable. When setting out a framework, also keep your company culture in mind and make sure to respect the applicable information and consultation procedures with the Works Council and the Committee for Prevention and Protection at Work. Mm -hmm. And finally, the leadership plays an important role in fostering an engaging virtual experience. For leaders to install a culture of flexibility, two principles are essential equality and trust. Everyone deserves the same flexibility, but employers need to be mindful that some roles are simply not fit for a virtual setup. The global workforce is diverse and has individual preferences and cultural differences that need to be catered for. Equality doesn't necessarily mean that everybody gets the same treatment. Huh? It implies trying to balance individual needs with the needs of the business and the company. Trust is key. If you trust an individual enough that you hired him, you should also trust him to get the work done when and where he or she prefers, provided, of course, that the people meet the agreed objectives. Equality and trust, Asma, it's important to keep that in mind and develop the future leaders accordingly. Wow, that's inspiring. I fully agree. In fact, it is already the time to thank you, Jessica and Sandra, for sharing your thoughts and having this discussion with me. Our pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, maybe a brief recap. I will remember the following. First, the workplace environment will change. Both the office workspace and the home office will be used, but they will serve other purposes. Two, it is important to create a transparent, tax, legal, and reward framework. While working occasionally from home might already have been an established principle for everyone, a structural switch to a virtual workforce is subject now to a different legal framework. Three, a different way of working requires aligning the employee reward proposition with this new reality. In practice, it would mean a change in terms of benefits and allowances offered to meet the employee requirements. The tax and social security rules allow employers to compensate home working costs, provided that they stick to certain boundaries. Last but not least, creating a new virtual work environment is an HR transformation process. Processes, roles and skill will need to be redefined. Different leadership styles may be necessary here. So, making the shift to a virtual workforce is an exciting and rewarding journey. We invite you to question yourself whether your organization is ready for this challenge. I want to thank again Jessica and Sandra for your time. Thanks to all the listeners. Stay tuned on the different platforms and our website for the next edition. Wishing you a nice day. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.